0: Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch, where we have mental health conversations with transparency. Today, I'm recording from home as we are all still abiding by safer at home orders. When you are finished listening to this episode, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Reviews are everything. Today, I am really super excited to have on Shannon Brusher Shea, who is devoted to telling authentic stories about green living and parenting. She's the author of the environmental parenting advice book, Growing Sustainable Together, Practical Resources to Raise Kind, Engaged, Resilient Children. And she writes the parenting blog, We'll Eat You Up, We Love You So. After receiving a master's degree from Oxford University in nature, science, and environmental policy, she worked for the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation and U.S. Department of Energy. She biked from New York City to Washington, D.C. to raise money for climate change advocacy, protested the Keystone XL pipeline when she was pregnant, and led family community bike rides. Shay has bylines in numerous publications, and she lives in Washington, D.C. in the area with her husband and two kids.
1: Welcome, Shannon. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: I'm really thrilled to have you on because I was actually a little bit Surprise! to be honest, I was excited to hear about there. I haven't done a single interview and I've been wanting to on environmental kind of stuff. I just haven't, there was one person I was going to, and then it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And that's what I actually thought I was going to be getting by reading this book. (laughs) And Oh, what a surprise. I, this is a parenting book. This is an excellent, and I mean, excellent parenting book. Oh, thank and you. I, I, it was such a like surprise even at chapter one. <laughs> so I am so excited to talk to you. This is, an, this is just such a great book. And um, I really want people to understand what it's about and why they should read it. So, But to begin our conversation, okay, now you're going to have to bring this down because you have all sorts of fancy degrees and, and <laughs> knowledge, okay? I want you to discuss terms so we're all on the same page about climate totally. change. Global warming, sustainability, social justice, green living—like, define for us laymen what those things mean to you, um, so we can springboard from there.
1: Absolutely, and one of my sort of career specialties is explaining complex scientific terms in you know regular people speak. I say I speak scientist, and that's what I do for my day job. So, and honestly, there's a lot of misunderstanding or um, just a It's challenging because so many of these things are complex. So climate change, just to start with, is how the climate, which are patterns and weather that occur over very long periods of time, we're talking, you know, decades, centuries are changing because of human causes and human behavior and human actions. And for the most part, the um, overall, the temperature of the entire Earth, is getting hotter. Hence why it's called another word for it is global warming. But it's not just that. It's also that it's causing massive shifts in all sorts of patterns, such as stronger hurricanes, more floods, uh, more droughts, Unpredictability of weather, and that's a huge, and of climate, and that's a huge one. I mean, people, of course, yes, from day to day, you don't know what the weather is going to be, and, you know, the weather person isn't always accurate, but, you know, spring should always kind of come at the same time. There should always be about the same amount of snow each year in the mountains where people rely on them for drinking water. But that's not happening. They're starting to fluctuate wildly, which makes it very hard to do things like plant crops. Um, no, if there's going to be enough drinking water for Los Angeles, you know. So it's really posing these huge challenges for policymakers and for everyday people. Um, you know, if there's a heat wave in Chicago and you don't have air conditioning and you're elderly, you're going to be more at risk for heat stroke, for example. So both on the very individual level in terms of harm being done and on the societal global level and everything in between, climate change has these really big effects. So it's one of those topics that can be both overwhelming, but then also can be really personalized if you're able to find ways to tackle it and to see it in your own life. And then also and I talk about this in the last chapter, be able to talk to your kids about it. You had mentioned green living. This is one that there's a lot of different definitions around. Um, some people see it very much as, I'm going to feed my kids only organic food and have bake everything myself. For me, it ties in much more into sustainability, which is what you mentioned. And sustainability is this idea that we can continue to do things over a long period of time and have them still function so there 's three different kinds of sustainability there 's environmental sustainability. We can use our environmental resources in ways that actually we won 't run out of or we won 't cause so much damage that we 're harming the very systems we rely on to survive um, there 's things like called ecosystem services, like snow being held in the mountains that then again becomes drinking water. The very way that fungus makes it possible for us to grow things and for b- trees to put out, you know, uh, oxygen. So if we are unsustainable, we are either using up our resources or we're breaking those systems we rely on. And so for me, green living is, Oh, and then there's two other kinds of sustainability. Sorry. There's social sustainability. So that's that we can continue to do things in a way that benefit and do not cause harm to all people as much as possible so you're not you know benefiting only rich people or only white people in your solutions to be environmentally sustainable and then you know, hurting people who are of, you know, marginalized minority, uh, marginalized races or ethnicities or hurting poor people because of the zoning activity, for example, you tried to do um, to be environmentally sustainable. Well, you've got to be socially sustainable too. Otherwise, you're just reinforcing the injustices in our larger systems. Um, and then let there's can I just ask you about that. Yes,
0: uh, with the social sustainability, uh-huh. I've actually never even heard that term before. Okay. Um, so do you mean like oh, is an example one yeah. example, um, like gentrification? Is
1: that bingo? Yep. That's a huge one. This idea, like, let's put more parks in and they help, you know, get kids outside and they help cool down our cities. But oops, we only put them in the rich neighborhoods or oops, we put them in a neighborhood without considering the larger system of how that would affect real estate prices and how that would affect the people who live there and then make all the housing prices go up and then they can't live there anymore. I live near Washington, D.C., where gentrification is a huge issue. So, yeah, that's a primo example of things that, in theory, could add to environmental sustainability, but then cause these following effects that really are not socially sustainable. And then there's economic sustainability, which is that we can actually just continue to rent things economically. That's usually what most governments think about first, more than anything else. That's, you know, our gross national product. That's, you know, what are our jobs numbers, that sort of thing. And it's something you can't ignore, but it's got to be part of that trio of, of things. So to me, green living is the individual version of all those kinds of sustainability. It's living in a way that you're taking care of your own needs, but not as much as possible, not at the expense of other people and of um, natural systems. It's finding ways to live that are in community with people and with the natural world. And unfortunately our systems make that incredibly difficult if you live in, you know, an industrialized society. But I also think there's a lot of steps we can take to both change those systems and make it easier for everybody to do it and do it ourselves individually as well. So that was a lot. But
0: but that's an an excellent beginning. And it's funny because those weren't my takeaways necessarily from your book. They were all about parenting for me, the takeaways, but I feel like to to get us all grounded, we needed to understand that. But I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you a random question. Yeah. If I don't, well, you talk about recycling in the book, which was was horrifying to find out that in many cases, things that you think are getting recycled really actually aren't. That was horrifying to me. But if I don't like compost, am I like a bad person? Am I not doing well to the earth?
1: Absolutely not. Everybody has their own challenges. They have their own needs. They have their own resources that are available to them. People who live in urban areas may not be able to have space to compost or garden, but they're going to be a lot more able to walk, bike, and take public transportation places. Whereas if you live, you know, in a more suburban or rural area, you're going to be able to compost, you're going to be able to garden, but you're probably going to have to drive a lot more. So everybody's got their own trade-offs, everybody's got their own opportunities, and what it's really about is finding what works for you and where you think you can have the biggest impact. That both takes advantage of your opportunities and meets your own needs, both for you and your family and your emotional and social needs too, not just, you know, your economic and physical needs.
0: Okay. I love that. That just made me feel better. And probably (laughs) anybody else (laughs) makes me feel better. Okay. So chapter one is about cultivating kindness. I didn't see that coming. Um, And you did a genius job of starting the book off really as a parenting guide, So how did you get the idea to write a book about both parenting and sustainability and how do you feel that we all need to be cultivating kindness in today's culture?
1: Absolutely. So um, in terms of parenting and sustainability, I've been an environmental activist for a really long time. I say that I became an environmental activist in third grade when I found about how manatees were endangered and I had my class adopt one. And so I've been passionate about this subject for a very, very long time. It's um, climate change and climate justice in particular is my big, my big passion. And none of that went away when I became a parent. I just kind of tried to cram it into also being a parent and doing both, but not in any integrated way. And when your kids are babies, it's honestly, it is really hard. Babies just, there's so much going on. There's so much vying for your attention. And so I had this really bad case of both what I call green guilt, which is, oh, no, I'm not being more sustainable. I could be doing more. And mom guilt, which is that I wish I had more time to spend with my kids. Why can't I spend more time? And I should be better. and you know, all of those sorts of things.
0: Wait, let me just say something. I didn't know, maybe you coined it, that that's a thing, green guilt, but I have green guilt like at least several times a week. I'm so glad you just said that.
1: Yeah, no, I think everybody who's concerned about environmental issues, no matter how green you are, has it because nobody's perfect. Nobody can do everything. There's a famous saying, it's not my saying, but I quote it, which everybody can do, nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. And just kind of coming to terms with that so i'm sitting downstairs in my basement and i'm reading a different parenting book actually um, called there's no such thing about bad weather which is about understanding swedish parenting and applying it to like american parenting and specifically the being outside aspect and i realized that these two things were not incompatible that of the people i talked to who were green and i'd asked like what's the conflict between that and being a good parent? And they all said no. And I was like, what? I don't understand. And I realized, no, they were right the whole time that being a good parent involves passing on values to your kids. It involves teaching them to be good people. It teaches them to care about someone other than themselves and having the skills to do so as an adult. And those are all things you can teach through these environmental activities. And so I realized that other parents would want to know about this too. And that as much as this was more than a hunch, I had read some research. I then did want to go out and look at all the research. And there was even more than I thought there was going to be. Um, And I really found a huge amount of social science research to back this up, as well as a lot of experts and sort of lived experience, both from my own experience and others' experience that I talk about. Oh, you asked about why is kindness important? (laughs) Yes. Um, I think kindness is especially important right now because, especially with COVID, people who had never had to see the cracks or even the giant gaping holes in our systems of injustice are starting to see them. They're being made clear or more obvious. And there's two reactions we can have to this. We can be defensive and say, oh, that's not a problem. Or I don't have any problems, I'm okay. Or I'm only going to care about myself. Or we can reach out and connect. And even though, yes, we can't do it in person, but we can connect with our community. We can say, we're all in this together. I can see things from your point of view. I can see where you're coming from. I can see your problems and your challenges and how this has made things worse for you. And how not just made things worse, but it's historical and connect and work together to fix these things and make these systems better. And that's really, for me, what kindness is about. It's both about individual. It's it's similar to sustainability in this way. It's about these individual acts of empathy and connection, but it's also about changing the systems so that all people are better served and all people are having their needs met. It's not a matter of niceness it's not a matter as, as important as civility can be. It's not important of civility. It's, it's bigger than that to me. And it's more about understanding both on an individual level, what other people's needs are and on a systemic level.
0: In the chapter connecting with our food, you talk a lot about gardens. Mm -hmm. For those of us who live in cities or people who are around food deserts, or they just don't have any experience at all with gardening can you explain why this is important and how a regular parent like me can get started?
1: Absolutely. Um, one of the reasons I covered gardens so much is that's just what most of the research is on, uh, especially school gardens, because it's easy to ask teachers to like help you do research. But it's not limited to just gardening. There's... Um, you know, uh, f- farmers markets are a great way to connect with your food. You can talk to the farmer about how they grow the food, what um, sorts of things that they do. In a lot of cases, you can visit those farms if you get a community supported agriculture box. you A lot of times they have work days. You can actually go see the farm, and it, those are available in a lot of cities. And then if you do want a garden, Right now, it is challenging in terms of school gardens and community gardens, but there's an increasing number of those in cities. And you can always just plant something in a pot, you know, and there's a lot of edible foods that will grow in pots. Basil is a great one to grow. Mint, as long as you keep it in a pot, because it spreads like a weed if you plant it in your yard, um, Mm -hmm. is a great one to grow. And those are ones you can just pick and you can add to things. They teach kids about You know, the science aspect of from seed to plant and they teach kids responsibility. If you don't water your plant, it's going to die. Natural consequences. Again, if you don't water your plant, it's going to die. Also, just the fact that there is effort involved in every single part of our food system. It doesn't just come from a grocery store. It doesn't just magically appear on your plate. Somebody had to grow it. And even if you're just growing a little basil plant, you grew that. And there's a sense of power and empowerment in
0: that. Yeah. I, I will say that um, in our, we, we don't have a big yard, but we do have a courtyard and in our courtyard, we have a, a section where we grow basically like we like to make our own salsa. So we grow mm-hmm. like, tomatoes, jalapenos, um, cilantro. And then this year we threw in carrots. They are not growing yet. I don't know if they're ever going to grow, but it's, rough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know how we came up with carrots. I think it was just, at the time, our our youngest was six and that mm-hmm. that was what he wanted. But what I will say to resonate with you, because you're, you're on one end, right, where this is like your whole life's passion and, y- you know, this is your very experience. So you may right. seem unattainable to somebody who's not there, but I am not on the other end. I, I definitely am aware of things. I live in Denver. This is a pretty like eco-friendly state, yeah. but we've been doing this garden for a couple of years now and it was so awesome. The other day, I genuinely... We were having like burgers and I was like, oh man, I forgot to get tomatoes. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, we have tomatoes in a garden. Oh my God, you guys run out there, see if there's any. And they came in with four. And oh. I had, I had a moment where I was like, now that was cool. Like yeah. that was really cool. So it doesn't have to be a lot. It was, it was, it was interesting to see that also through the eyes of my kids. They love it. They name mm. the vegetables, <laughs> they clean the vegetables. And there really is something special about it, but you, the reason why I just think that this book is genius and your thinking is, is you have figured out a way to marry two things that actually really do go hand in hand. Also, like yeah. when you were talking about farmer's markets, somebody has to tend to it. You mm-hmm. have to make sure that it's getting water. You have to watch that the bugs aren't eating. Like my kids watch for bugs,
1: right? Um, right.
0: you know, things like that. So, um, I just love, I just love that, that whole connection. And I, I promise people that the book puts it all together really nicely. There's a part of the book where you talk about household energy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now moving away a little from food and you have some really easy and great ideas on how to conserve energy. Can you talk about them and how to reinforce these ideas with kids of all ages?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Usually energy efficiency is what people think of when they think of green living, if it's not, you know, buying organic and making your own cleaning supplies. And so it's one of those that is very individual in a way, but it's also one of the best ways to teach responsibility to kids and make those connections. Um, one of the big ways is when you go buy big appliances, like a refrigerator or a washing machine or a dishwasher, to look with the kids at the energy saver tag and say, here's how much it costs. Here's how much energy it uses and teach them how to read those tags so that when they're an adult, they know how to do it. Um, And that has a lot of follow through because those are the things that you can kind of buy it and forget it. You know, it's going to save you energy while it's going. One of the things I talk about in the book is an energy efficient scavenger hunt. And so you can go around your house And with your kids and make it into a scavenger hunt and say, how many light bulbs do we have? How many of them are, you know, old fashioned incandescent light bulbs? How many are what are called CFLs, which are more efficient? And how many are LEDs, which are the most efficient? How many can we replace? There's a fun thing called the dollar bill test, where if you put, if you can stick a dollar bill under your door, it means that it's probably very leaky, which means in the winter, your cold air is coming in and your hot air is getting out. And in the summer, if you have air conditioning running, your cold air is getting out and the hot air is coming in. So that shows that you need to um, insulate that somehow. Uh, And then there's always the just good old fashioned turning off lights, um, uh, turning off, you know, devices. And one of the things that's good for that in terms of, again, building responsibility is sort of that self-awareness and how you're moving through the house and, how, what you're doing in the house is affecting other people. And I can't say definitively, this is actually carried over for my children because my younger son in particular leaves a weave of destruction in his path. Uh, But in theory, it should help kids sort of understand like, yes, it's important that I'm sort of aware of what I'm doing in the house, where I'm leaving things. Am I leaving the lights on? Am I turning the TV off? It affects, you know, how much we have to pay for things. It affects how much pollution our house is making. And so it can be another way to, again, expand that. How does my behavior affect other people and affect the larger world around?
0: Yeah, that's really energy.
1: That's but I had such a nice moment with my kid when we were biking and he's like, you know, this doesn't produce pollution. I'm like, oh, you've been paying attention. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's wonderful. I think there's just a way that you describe these things that just really make a lot of sense and they just instill actually really good values in kids from an early age. Like right now, this summer, our our focus, particularly with my two sons, is just to turn off the lights in the bedroom in the morning. Mm -hmm. They just don't. They just get up, they get dressed, they walk out of the room, they leave the lights on. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to say to them, open the curtains, open the blinds and turn off the lights, you know? Um, And we're still, it's still a work in progress. Like that's just, to me, that's just responsibility. That's exactly nothing too far out there. Um, But you have such nice ideas Mm -hmm. and nice ways of talking about it that, that makes sense as to why would I prioritize this when I have so many things going on? Right. Why is this a priority? That's really good. One of the last things that I have wanted to ask you about was this is a big one. You talk about Mm -hmm. rejecting materialism.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and this is a topic I hear many parents in my private practice say that they want to do also even just friends, they want to do it, but they can't seem to stick to it. Or they say that one of the obstacles is that their kids get gifts at their birthday parties from grandparents. And so what are your thoughts around being able to successfully follow through on this and why is it important?
1: Absolutely. So I'll start with the why it's important just because it's um, and then we can get to the, the practical materialism and the effects of materialism are probably the thing I found the most research for in my whole book. There is so much research showing that if you are materialistic, which basically means you care about stuff and things and status more than people and over relationships, you are going to be unhappier. You're going to be like a less kind person. You're going to be less generous. You're kind of going to just be a miserable jerk if you're really, ma- people are hyper materialistic. And so, you know, nobody wants their kid to grow up to be that. Nobody wants to be that. And yet our society just has these messages of bye, bye, buy. get more stuff and you'll be happier. And, buying into that messaging is is really dangerous. And so one of the best ways to turn off that spigot of those messaging is to try to avoid commercials as much as possible. It sounds weird because, you know, there are many challenges with screens, of course, but as compared to, you know, the TV, I, you know, we used to watch as kids, streaming services are great for this because there are no commercials, You know, now maybe they'll want the toy that they see that's based on that show, but at least it's not being shoved in their face in the same way it would be every 10 minutes when we would watch, you know, network TV. And then because kids are going to see commercials no matter what, it's also really important for them to understand the kinds of messages commercials are sending them and be able to kind of talk back to them mentally. You know, when they see a commercial, what is it selling? Who is it selling it to? What kinds of tactics are they using to sell it? Uh, And this is a big one. Are they making it look much more fun than it actually is? Uh, When I was a little kid, I was probably like, mm, probably three or four, I'm guessing. I got this doll that was one of those pull toy dolls, you know, and it would talk to you. And it gave you like eh, three or four phrases probably. And based on the commercial, which I don't even know how I saw, because my parents only let me watch PBS at that age. But somehow I saw it. I was convinced this doll would have a conversation with you and I was extremely disappointed when I found it. It wasn't, I threw it across the room like Christmas morning. And I tell that story to my kids because it just shows that commercials will promise you things that those toys will not be able to deliver on. And they use all these kinds of tactics to make it look more fun. We talked about even, when Stranded for Adults, because um, sometimes my kids watch football with my husband. There's the SUV commercials. And it's like, oh, yeah, they're showing that that car going over that mountain because it wants to sell people on the idea that you'll be adventurous if you buy this car, even if they never bring it hiking. My kids are like, yeah. And I actually heard my son once. They're like, you need this truck. And my, dad, my son's like, no, you don't. You can walk. <laughs> like back at the TV. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: That's really, that's awesome. Can you provide maybe one practical thing that you could do to fight this and then everybody Mm -hmm. can find out more by reading your book, Growing Sustainable Together?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, So there are some tactics in terms of gift giving. Our big one is you only get gifts from us and from grandparents for the most part on birthday and for us, because we celebrate Christmas, Christmas. And if you want something any other time of year, you can either spend your own money because they do get some birthday money or take a photo of it and we'll put it on your birthday list or your Christmas list. And that sort of stops them from asking because that's when you get stuff, you know, and I find that has been extremely effective so far.
0: I, I think that's a great tip. I want to, I want to second that. I do the same thing anytime that somebody wants something, which I, I have to, say doesn't happen all that much. So, which is great, but you know, if we're shopping and we're at target or something, I just say, I keep a notes list, a notes section Mm -hmm. all year long. And I just say, great, I'll add it to your list. And that just totally diffuses the situation because at their holidays, if they still want it, they really do get it. So they can trust the list. You know, it's it's delayed. It's also teaching some delayed gratification, which is always really good too.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, So much of that. I want, I want is the immediate,
0: Yes, I know you talk about that. You talk about parenting tips. You, you really do talk about raising kind, engaged and resilient kids. I really loved this book. I genuinely did growing sustainable together for way more practical resources, ideas, great stories. Even there's even an appendix to give your school ideas. I just think uh, people will really enjoy this book. I appreciate you coming on and talking to us about it. And I wish you much luck with spreading your good word.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thank you. So thank you for listening to this episode of my pod couch. Please rate and review this episode and share with anyone who you think would benefit from it to stay connected. Please subscribe. Episodes are released every two weeks.